Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning, and we welcome you here to Faith Community Church. Ah, so glad to see you. I'm kind of running in here today. We just finished a, a great prayer service in my office and, and uh, prior to this, uh, to today. But we're glad to see you. I, I, I'm just looking over the crowd here a little bit. I see some, <clears throat> some new faces and new people. I hope you take a moment. There's a connection card huh, right in front of you. <laughs> just if you would just uh, mark your names on that and some information. And also for anybody else, if you've got a prayer need or something, we pray over these. We're, we're serious about this. We take these needs, we pray over them. We send them to our elders, and they also pray. So this isn't something that we just say, oh, hey, nice to see that you've got a need. We're not going to do anything about it. Uh, but we really do pray. And so I'm just so thankful for every one of you that's here today. I'm going to read a couple, just a couple verses, but they are so powerful. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, this, these are two wonderful verses of scripture that I want to, uh, especially one of them that I just wanted to just really settle in your heart this morning in a very powerful way. So would you stand for the reading of the word of God this morning? This is the Bible. And it's in, or in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. The, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus right here. He's talking about Jesus. Now, listen to this. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. God's salvation is not just part way. God's salvation is just not a little dab here. It's complete. You stand complete in Jesus Christ this morning. Think about that. Let that just filter into your mind and thoughts here uh, this morning. Would you do that? We're going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful congregation and, and for the saints of God this morning. Father, I thank you for each one of them that that, Lord, that you are speaking into their hearts. I believe that there is a, there's a work of the Holy Spirit that is occurring in this congregation uh, that is happening today. So, Father, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would help us, you would encourage us, you would strengthen us. Father, I pray that there would be the voice of God that would clearly speak into people's hearts and lives this morning. Father, I thank you for the, the word of God because we're going to open this word and we're going to discover your truth from this word. And so, Father, I thank you. Let the people of God be blessed of the Lord and the flow of God's blessings into our hearts and lives. We give you our praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read two sets of scripture this morning, very briefly, Matthew chapter 28 is, uh, you should be familiar with this, this is the great commission of Jesus after his uh, glorious resurrection. <clears throat> Just one verse. The Bible says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, this is uh, spoken on the day of Pentecost. And uh, as Peter preached, 3,000 people uh, were saved. And those 3,000 people asked a question of Peter, what do we do now? And Peter answers that question in verse 38 when he says this, verse chapter of, whoops, chapter 3, verse 38. And Peter answered them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This message is, uh, this message is about understanding baptism. Uh, it is a doctrinal message. And it's more teaching than anything. And it's a very difficult message, in my estimation. I want to share with you something that happened a number of years ago. In fact, it happened in September 1995. I had been at Trinity Bible College two months. One of the uh, one of the things that I did at Trinity, I, was, I went up there as the vice president, but I also was pastor of Trinity Church that met on the campus of the college. And um, I wanted to stay close to pastoral ministry. And so I, I'm pastoring this church made up mostly of college students, of course, and some faculty and staff and some things like that, and some other people. Uh, we'd had some really uh, good things happen in the church, and it grew very rapidly. Um, but anyway, about mid-September, I, I felt impressed to talk to the students about baptism. And there were a number of students that had not been baptized. Here they were in Bible college. They loved the God, but they had not been baptized. And I said, we're going to have a baptismal service. And that would have been about the third week of September. Now keep this in mind. It, from here to North Dakota, where we were, is approximately 425 miles. And believe it or not, it gets darker earlier as you go north. And I had not really taken that into real serious account. And our service started at uh, 6.30, I think, or something like that. It doesn't matter. And we didn't have a baptistry in the chapel. Because basically, you don't need one in a college chapel. And so I thought about this. And the best thing I could come up with is, was a stock tank. Now, we had plenty of livestock in North Dakota. So we had plenty of stock tanks. And so I got the biggest one I could find. And after uh, lunch, I fished a hose over there and started filling this thing up. Uh, we did not have a water heater either. So we were just really kind of swagging this thing as we went, as you can tell. So we had a very, very brief service. We sang a song or something like that. And, and uh, I, I just very briefly just talked about baptism for a few minutes. And I said, the, we're all going to go out. And there were six people that wanted to be baptized. And so they're going to be baptized and we're going to 
form a great big circle around them. And, and so about a hundred and some of these people, at least a hundred and some of these people, we formed this big circle. I mean, it's kind of like this room, but only in a circle. And there was a stock tank. There was me. There was Joan. And there was these five students, or six students, and we baptized them in the stock tank. Well, when you baptize somebody and they get out, they carry a lot of water out with them, actually. And so we had to kind of keep the water going in there. And the water, as I mentioned, was not warm water. We did not have a heater. And so it was cold. These kids were serious about this. They didn't mind the temperature. We baptized the five or six kids, students, and one of the things I, a lot of times I say after a baptismal service, is there somebody else here that God is speaking to you right now that you should be baptized? Oh my goodness. Hands went up all over the place. And these students were not dressed to be baptized. They were dressed in nice clothes because they've been to church. I says, well, let's start baptizing. And I said, Joan, go over to the field house and get some towels from the athletic guys and haul them over. So she's hauling over this big bunch of towels. And we're baptizing these people. And I want to tell you this. We baptized 32 or 33 kids that night. And it was one of the most powerful moments that I can think of in my entire ministry. Mainly because it was getting dark. It was dark. We had some lights on the campus. It was dark. And I'm telling you, the power of God's Holy Spirit simply covered over us. I mean, it was one of the most holy, sacred, powerful things that I can think of in my ministry. And I'll never forget it. Baptism wasn't the powerful thing. Baptism was the, the symbol, if you will, of what God had done in these young people's lives and hearts. And they made this public testimony. Cold water. Nice clothes. The whole works. They took off their shoes and they got in the tank. I was just as wet as they were when we finished it up. But it was a sacred moment. And I, I don't know who all those students were, but I'm guessing that every one of them will never forget that third Sunday night in September 1995. It was that powerful. I want to talk to you about baptism today. When Jesus went home to be with his Father in heaven, he left the church with two ordinances. One was communion, or the Lord's table, or the Lord's supper, however you want to refer to it, which speaks of the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We do that every month in the first Sunday of the month here at, here at Faith. And I think we've got a fair understanding of what that means. The second thing he left us was baptism. 
And that's the thing that I don't think we have a great understanding on. And that's what I want to speak about today. And um, because I believe there's a wide diversity, if you will, of different opinions of what this means, how it should be done, who it should be done to, and all of this. And it's likely because we just don't have a whole lot of teaching on it. But I'd like to end that today. I'd like to, hopefully we can, well, we may not end it, but at least we are going to uh, address it well today. And at the end of this message, I want to be able to take some questions that you might have. And um, so anyway, we're going to kind of move on here. The Lord basically gives us very simple instructions, and that was to repent and, ba and be baptized. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, as I mentioned, 3,000 were saved. They were baptized, and this sets an example for the church. This, is a this becomes a model, if you will, for the New Testament church. Why would a person choose not to be baptized? Let me roll into the negative here for a moment. Why would a person choose not to be baptized? And number one, I believe it's because they don't understand it. They haven't been well taught on it. They don't realize the importance of water baptism, and so they, they just simply don't know any better. Joan and I would fall into that category after we got saved. We didn't know any better. We just, we were just, <laughs> I think I've told you this before, we, we were really ignorant uh, believers in Christ. Our ignorance served us quite well, though, because when God said something, we said, okay, let's do that. We didn't know any better. We didn't know how to argue with the Lord. We, we do now, but we didn't then. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about, I think, by, by your response there. So number one, they uh, had not had a whole lot of teaching. Number two, uh, spiritual pride sometimes holds its back. Um, these are people who have confessed Christ and yet not baptized, and maybe they don't want to admit that they should have been baptized or should have been obedient to the Lord in this area. Number three, there are some people who just don't care. And you always have that group. They just simply don't care, and it, uh, they're, they're not necessarily against it, they're just indifferent to it. It's, you know, it's something you do. Number four, I think there's a whole category out there that they're not even, they haven't really been saved. They just haven't been saved, and so they don't want to get baptized because that means that it means something. They recognize that it does mean something. Uh, they don't mind hanging around the church, and, but they're not going to stand up publicly and speak about their faith because they don't have any faith. Not in Christ, anyway. I want to now offer you a definition of baptism, and this is very important <clears throat> because if we understand the definition, it's going to help us in a lot of different areas. Uh, there are only two verbs that can give us a definition of baptism in the, uh, in the New Testament. And the first verb, and I don't, I don't like to use, fling Greek language around, and I do this very seldom, but it's important this time. It's the word bapto, uh, which is used only four times in the New Testament. But in those four times, it means to dip or submerge uh, or to immerse. The other verb is baptizo, which is where we get our term baptism. It's a stronger word. It's a more intense word. 
and it means to dip completely, to totally submerge, immerse, or dunk. That's what it means. That's the simplest uh, uh, definition of the word baptize. I want to be clear, there is no such support in the New Testament, no support whatsoever for sprinkling or pouring or touching with water. There's no New Testament support for any of those. New Testament baptism always meant immersion in all cases. In fact, there's, there's some... I, I don't think I'm going to go through these for the sake of time and things today, but I've given you a list. It's on the back of your, um, your church bulletin. A list of various uh, New Testament passages that talk about this. Sometimes baptism is used in the sense... Now, remember, the, the, uh, the definition is really important here. Uh, I am bapti I'm baptized into Christ, meaning I am immersed into Christ. I'm immersed into what Christ means in my life. It's used in that way. To to means that I'm totally consumed, I'm totally uh, 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 taken up by, by Jesus Christ. And so it's used in that kind of a term. It's also used, obviously, in the term like those students that we baptized in, you know, about 25 years ago. So there's two uses to it, but they both mean to be immersed or completely submerged. I'm submerged in Jesus Christ. I'm submerged in his word. I, I'm immersed in following him. This is what it means. And so I'm going to kind of move over those things um, you can look them up and, and, and watch the nuances on those things. Baptism by immersion is a command of every believer because it demonstrates an obedient heart and it represents a picture that becomes a, literally a teaching aid for us. You know, God likes to use symbols and pictures and illustrations and parables and things like that. Jesus used these also. He used a parable often to speak about a difficult spiritual truth in a way that would be very easy to understand. Uh, three or four weeks ago, we talked about the sower and the seed and the soils. And he was talking about <clears throat> an application that these people would understand in a great way. And so, uh, for example, when a family... Think about this for a moment. Even in the Old Testament, we see this all over the place. In the old time, when a family went to the temple for a sacrifice, can you imagine that family standing there? There's mom, dad, there's a, maybe their son, their daughter, these, uh, this sort of an arrangement, a couple kids. And, uh, and the son may say, Daddy, why are they killing these animals? Why are these animals being sacrificed? And here comes the lesson in that. Dad can say to that son or that daughter, our sin demands the shedding of blood, and God has allowed this animal to die in our place. But someday, he's going to bring the perfect lamb that will die for us for all time. It becomes a, it becomes a teaching aid. It becomes a, a model, if you will, 
uh, to, to share this kind of difficult, perhaps difficult spiritual truth. I believe so many things God did in the Old Testament was a teaching tool. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, speaking of the Old Testament, he says, these are examples to us, models to us that we can look at and understand. I believe a lot of things that, uh, that God is passing along spiritual truth. When the Old Covenant was ended, as I mentioned, the Lord left us with these two pictures, communion and baptism. That's what he left us with. Communion obviously represents the physical death, sacrifice of Jesus. <clears throat> baptism represents his death, burial, and a new birth, and it becomes an object lesson for us. Let's take a look at some history here, real brief. John the Baptist is asking the Jewish people, he's been preaching to them, he has a strong message of repentance from sin. That was John's message. And so he's been preaching to them, and he goes to the Jordan River and begins baptizing these people in water. Now remember, these people are people of the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant, they are God's people, but this act admits, when he baptizes them, these people are admitting, we have been unholy, we have been sinful, and we're repenting of our sin. We don't want to do this anymore. And this becomes our act of commitment, our act to say, we are going to live holy to God. It becomes their declaration of of repentance and that becomes an outward symbol then of that inward work and that transformation of their hearts so when John is baptizing guess who shows up Jesus shows up keep in mind Jesus is John's cousin they're related Jesus shows up and John and you can read about this in Matthew chapter 3 John says, no, I'm not going to be baptizing you. No, no, no. And Jesus insists that John baptize him. And, uh, and, uh, and, but John says this, and it's in verse 15, and I want you to listen to it very carefully. It says, so let it be for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Here's the words. It is fitting for now. John's saying, you know what? We'll do that for now. Because remember, they're still operating under that old covenant. Jesus hasn't been to the cross. <clears throat> Salvation hasn't been completed. All of these things <clears throat> are happening like this. I think Jesus did this for two reasons. Number one, he's endorsing John's ministry, this ministry of repentance. Number two, he identifies with the people and the need for a substitute in their life <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that comes to, uh, from death. When you as a believer are baptized by immersion into water, you are demonstrating your union with Christ. For whom did Christ die for? You. Whose sins did he bear? Yours. For whom did he rise? You. And I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. <clears throat> this is the truth of God. Keep this in mind. Uh, I, actually, I jumped ahead there. There's a question. There's a question that may be out here today, and I want to answer it. Some people say you have to be baptized to be saved. Now listen to me, saints. If you dozed off, get this one. <laughs> that is incorrect. People who come around and say you've got to be baptized to be saved, they are incorrect. They are not correctly, rightly dividing the word of truth, <clears throat> and they are wrong. No matter who says it to you. However, there's a powerful relationship between obedience and recognition, and this is God's standard. To be baptized after Pentecost, think about this just for a moment. Pentecost occurred about six weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus, <clears throat> approximately six weeks later, when 3,000 people were baptized, and folks, they were laying it on the line with their identity with Christ. Think about this. Think about this. The culture in Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the whole thing, they were laying it on the line. 3,000 says, we will follow Christ. We have repented of our sins. We are going to, we are going to publicly express this through baptism, our baptism. That's a bold step. It probably meant alienation for a lot of things. Maybe their families, certainly with the religious leadership of that day. They were striking a new, a new direction for their life, clearly. You might say, well, the thief on the cross was not baptized. <clears throat> I'll give you that one. But your reluctance to be baptized really brings forth a question of my willingness to be obedient. Listen, baptism does not save you. It does not make you holy. It does not secure you. It does not provide you with some kind of a power. But it demonstrates your obedience and the joy that it will bring into your life as a new believer in Jesus Christ. All of those things. Confusion. First of all, let's make this clear. The Bible is not confusing. But a lot of people have confused what the Bible says. We need to understand this. That one of the things that Satan loves to do is to shatter obedience in our life. And he would like things to happen in confusion. People that deny baptism, I'm going to name some names now. People that deny baptism would be Quakers. They deny this. If you're a part of a friend's church, they would deny it, which is a branch of the Quakers. The Salvation Army would deny it. The Mormons believe that you can be baptized by proxy for dead people. This is not in the Bible. The Church of Christ says baptism will save you. And if you believe and are not baptized, you still will miss heaven. These are the teachings that are confused. And they're confused because we do not rightly divide the word of truth. It's that simple. 
I need to be very clear about things. We see a lot of evidence in the early church of false teaching. Paul battled false teaching all of his ministry life. Everywhere he turned, be it in Galatians, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, it didn't really matter. The Thessalonians battled it. Paul writes specifically 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. These were pastors of the Ephesian church and the question was how do we deal with the false teaching? False teaching has been around a long time. So it didn't start back in the Middle Ages or back at the turn of this century. It's been here for a very, very long time. John wrote Revelation, we believe, at about 95 AD. He was probably the last living apostle, and he wrote the Revelation, and if you read chapters 2 and 3, he writes to seven real churches, the seven churches of Revelation, and in each one of them, he is dealing with false teaching and false ideas. Every one of them. And I'm setting this thing up because it wasn't long after, after John died that this false teaching continued on. In fact, it got worse in this situation. Paul battled it, and uh, we, we get into it today. Now, let me talk about it created a hierarchy. The church quickly created a hierarchy that would be called the Roman Catholic Church. This was a hierarchy, which in turn introduced infant baptism. This was introduced very, very early in the church. And so, Roman Catholic theology teaches that water cleanses a baby from original sin and results in regeneration. That is Roman Catholic teaching, and it's not correct. Listen to this, Ludwig Ott, who is a Roman Catholic theology, I quote, Baptism is a sacrament in which a man being washed with water in the name of the three divine persons is spiritually reborn. Now, th th there's, there's nothing in the Bible to support that. You need to know that. Faith, another quote, Faith is not the effective cause of justification, does not need to be present. Faith with, with, boy, faith which infants lack is replaced by faith of the church. Paul would rise out of his grave and scream. Paul is the champion of the justification by faith, by grace through faith. Paul was the champion of this. The Reformation centered on the issue of justification by faith. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works. Are we understanding this thing? I'm trying to measure this in this congregation. I'm getting zero, except for Craig and my wife. Martin Luther comes along, and by the way, this month we celebrate 500 years of the Reformation, and I'm glad for that, believe me. 
Martin Luther comes along in the Reformation, and folks, he's a giant on faith. He's giant on grace and the authority of the scriptures. But he never got untangled from this Roman Catholic thing of infant baptism. He never got untangled. He never shook it, and I wish he would have. Luther believed that baptizing a baby cleanses that baby from sin. Now listen, he was asked, if you believe in justification by faith, then how, do you, how does an infant believe? And this is a quote from him, well, somehow that baby must be able to believe. And that's a little bizarre to me, because there is not belief there. If you attend a Lutheran or a Catholic funeral, you will hear very, very early in the liturgy how baptism saved this person, or through the waters of baptism they were saved and forgiven and made right with God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is incorrect. Now, if I'm shocking a few people here, it's not because I want to stand up here and shock people. I want you to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It really will. It really will. Reformation centered on the issue of justification. Baptism is the, person, person, is, is the purpose of God. I think there's a lot of people today, and I've heard this, I've talked to people, many, many people, scores, and I say to them, are you ready to meet the Lord? And many of them will say, I've been baptized. I joined the church. I went through confirmation. Are those the right answers? They're all the wrong answers. They're all wrong. I want to close this. Jonah and I got saved, as we mentioned, in February of 93. No, no, no. February of 73. Wow. Within a year, we begin to understand God's calling on our lives for ministry. And that was, that was quite, a, quite a time. But we begin to walk our way through it, sometimes inch by inch. We made a decision to go to Central Bible College to prepare for ministry. I was filling out the application form. I had my name and address and all of these things. <clears throat> and then it came to a question. When were you baptized by immersion? And I said, oh my Lord, never. I was baptized sometime when I was a about two months old. I really didn't remember much about it. <laughs> Nothing. I ran onto this question, when were you baptized? And I, I remember saying to Joan, I said, Joan, they won't let us into this college. Because I said, I haven't been baptized. I ran to my pastor. And I said, Pastor, I'm in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. You know, when somebody runs into my office and I'm in trouble, I gasp. I say, oh, no. Why me? 
I said, I haven't been baptized. Joan hasn't either. And I got to fill this thing out because there's a deadline coming up. I got to get this thing. How do I get baptized? He says, well, we normally do it here in the church and have the baptistry, but we're not going to fill the baptistry just for you two. And so let's go out to Del Kramer and Margaret. Is it Margaret? Margaret Kramer's Pond on the southwest corner of uh, Des Moines. And these people were just godly, wonderful people. And he says, we can do this after church next Sunday. I said, good, let's do this. Let's do it. We got to do this. I mean, I was... And so I remember the day, it was a day like Friday. It was rainy, windy, rain, 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 rain. This pond is about the, about the size of the property of our church here. And lo and behold, Del Kramer's son got on that with his motorboat and was running around on this thing. And the pastor says, okay, we're going to go into the water. He says, be careful, this drops off. I mean, it really dropped off. And I'm up to about here. I'm just about baptized now, you know. It's just another foot, I figure, that, yep, uh, that's it. <laughs> and we, Joan and I were baptized in that dirty pond water. <laughs> and Margaret says, oh, you got to come into the house and clean up. <laughs> oh, goodness sakes. She had pie and ice cream and everything else, and <laughs> we celebrated. It meant so much to us. It meant so much to us because... We realized at that time we're, we're walking in obedience to God. We didn't know what to do. But I read that. I did not understand baptism the way I've preached it today. I just knew that God wanted it done. And we want it done. And we want to be obedient people. We're going to take some questions. But I want to head off a question or two. Some of you, a lot of you, probably were baptized as little kids, little babies. I'm not saying <clears throat> this message is not to shame you. It's not to condemn you. It's not to make you feel like you're a second-rate Christian or something. Not, a, not at all. Not at all. Please understand me. I don't want anybody to say, I just don't measure up. The only person you have to measure up to is the Lord himself. You don't have to measure up to me or anything. We baptize children here at this church. And I want you to know in good conscience, I can never say, this baptism will save your baby. I would never say that. I mean, if that costs me my job, then that's fine with me. I can never say it. Because it's not true. When we baptize a baby here, you need to understand my words, and I think you've heard them enough. Essentially, we are dedicating that child unto the Lord. Obviously, we're using some water and everything like that. I'm not trying to deceive people. I'm not trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. But we are going to do our best to be biblical. We lift up that child as a dedication unto the Lord. 
I think it's wonderful that in August of each year we find people that, many people that have been baptized as little ones, they come forward and say, I want to be baptized. I'm an adult or I'm a teenager. I know what this means. And I want to follow the Lord in a special way. It's special to them. It's powerful in their life. And that's fine. But we're talking right now here in the leadership of our church. <clears throat> we need a baptistry in this church. We do. If we're serious about this, then let's baptize some people. You get saved, we want to baptize you. Not next August, but next Sunday. We want to baptize you. I think it's that important. Not that it's going to help you to get to heaven any quicker than anybody else, but I think it's going to help you. I, I really do. I think there's something in that. It's going to help you to walk a greater committed life for Christ. It's going to be a memory. You'll be in that baptistry or whatever, and we're going to ask you to speak about what Christ has done in your life. You'll never forget that. And we won't either as a congregation. Well, listen, I want to express my appreciation for your patience and your thoughtfulness. Uh, I was hesitant about this message because there's, I, I realize that there are a lot of different opinions. And sometimes people's opinions, uh, I, I understand that they're strong. I have opinions that are very strong. But we wanted to share something very biblical with you. And we, we leave it with you. This is never, I, I, I would never walk up to Isaac and say, Isaac, you've got to get baptized. You've got to do it right now. Do it right now. I would never do that. Never. I want Isaac to sense in his own heart how God would be so pleased that he would walk with him in this avenue of obedience. You follow me? That he would be obedient and he would do that. And I'm not, I'm not looking at any person in this room who maybe you were, you were like me, you were baptized as a little baby and saying, you know what, you really need to step it up. I will never say that. Never. This is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And <clears throat> we leave it with you. And we're not standing here to say, I condemn you or consider you less in some ways if you choose to move along in your life uh, understanding. I just want you to understand that. I want you to understand that. There's no such thing as second-class people in this church. There's only one class, and that's the saved class. Uh, are we clear on that? Do we, amen? Okay. All righty. Good. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you for helping me. Thank you. I want you to want to share one last thing with you very, very briefly. If you're here today, and this message is really kind of like plowed right into your heart. 
and you're sitting here saying, you know what? For a lot of years, I thought because I got baptized in this church over here and you know, got confirmed there or something or been faithful or whatever, I thought I was okay with God. But today you realize, you're starting to realize, you know what? I really need to make a heart commitment to Jesus Christ. I really need to say, Christ, forgive me, come into my life. And so I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I pray for any person, any person, whether you're young or older, whatever the stage, maybe, that, maybe that's a description. Father, if there's somebody here that needs Jesus Christ right now, if you realize that, pray with me. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and baptism isn't going to save me. My church membership won't save me. Jesus, come into my heart. I believe with all of my heart that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. I commit my life and ask you to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I believe on you and only you for my eternal salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.